Timothy chapter 6. While you're turning there, and before I introduce my message this morning, uh, let me tell you where we're going uh, in February. Uh, normally, I, I preach and minister in series format. Uh, you know, my kind of philosophy about that, uh, not only is it easier for me uh, to stay connected to, uh, to some consistent flow, but I think it's important for you uh, to, to grasp a truth. And how many of you know 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday may or may not necessarily uh, get the job done when it comes to, to, to lifelong kingdom principles that we need to embrace in our life? So, so normally I'm a series preacher. Uh, and uh, I build on uh, what, what God is saying, and uh, hopefully that you're growing because of that. So let me tell you where we're headed in February. Uh, a number of weeks ago, God laid this passage of Scripture on my heart uh, in John chapter 7, and I began to meditate on it. And then this past week when I was in, in San Antonio preaching at the uh, Destiny Church Missions Conference, and my son was there, and he led worship one night. It was just a great time. Uh, I love to be able to minister to missionaries. There were missionaries from all over the world, as well as pastors from all over Texas and really all over America, people from uh, Illinois and Wisconsin and different places, all gathered together for this uh, Sunday night through Wednesday night uh, ministry uh, and uh, got to hang out with uh, Marco Swid, who's the Hispanic pastor and, and uh, Lakewood Church, little country church over there in town down there. I don't know if you've ever heard of that place, but what a great man and has made a huge difference in the world. Uh, I've had the joy of being a friend with his family and him for numbers of years and to hear what God is doing in their life. So it's been, it was very rewarding and refreshing to me. And in that conference, somewhere in the middle of it, someone quoted this verse in John chapter seven, I thirties, I don't have it memorized, but, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said this, he said, uh, uh, after the feasting, he said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Everyone say rivers of living water. And then uh, John says, this is what he was talking about. John's, John's ex- explanation. He said, he's talking about the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so February... I'm going to begin to share with you, and I I guess I'll just call it the river, because I believe in February, what a great way to, to, uh, uh, to move from strengthening your spiritual grip to really opening yourself up to the river and the power, the influence of the Holy Spirit to begin to flow through your life. Uh, if you're still thirsty after all this feasting, Jesus said, come unto me and drink, and And if you do that, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Turn around and tell somebody, look somebody in the eye and say, we got to let the river flow. we got to let the river flow in our life. And so that's in February. Now, we've got one more Sunday. You know, there are five Sundays in January. We've got one more Sunday in February and one more Sunday uh, to talk about strengthening your spiritual grip. And let me give you a preview of next Sunday. I really believe we're going to close out on a positive note and really help us, empower us for the new year. We're going to talk next Sunday about strengthening your spiritual grip on God's purpose for your life. Uh, You know, did you know that... um, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, is the second most popular selling book in the history of humanity. Anybody know the first one? 
the Bible. So the second most popular book in the history of the world is a book about the purpose of God for your life. And so next Sunday, we're going to talk about getting a grasp on the purpose of God for your life. And let me just say, I may do this with you. We may just get all fired up uh, Sunday. And, and if I can rally up my copy of The Purpose Driven Life, it's a, if you've never read The Purpose Driven Life, I would encourage you to take it. It's a, is it a 30-day or 40-day? It's a 40-day devotional on the purpose of God. It's the simplest thing, you'll, but it will inspire you and move you to a whole new level in God's purpose for your life. And uh, so uh, that's that's in that's next Sunday. So a lot of great things going uh, in uh, February. We're gonna we're gonna unleash unleash the river uh, uh, of God in our life, and uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, are you at First Timothy chapter six? Well, cool. Hold your place there. Let's pray today as we begin to share the word of God together. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word, and Lord, may the ministry of the word today make a big difference in our life. We open our ears to hear. And our hearts, Lord, to to respond and to obey in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You know, the power of the preached word is a, it's just unexplainable. It's not the messenger, it's the message. You know, I appreciate a good messenger. How many of you know, how many of you have ever heard a good message communicated badly? You know, there is something to, uh, you know, a, a, a good communication skill. Uh, but, uh, uh, and I try to do my best, but this past week when I, I shared on Monday night, I had one of our, one of the pastors come to me and, and it just blew me away because I, you know, I, he said, and I didn't really delve into it. He said, he said, I've just got to tell you tonight's message in the ministry tonight answered some things for me that I have been concerned about and, and, and bugged by and bothered with for years. I'm telling you, Brother Sam, the Word of God changed my life tonight. And then he said these words, I will never, ever be the same. And I went, that was worth a five-hour ride to San Antonio, Texas. And so I pray that be the case with you today as we talk about strengthening your spiritual grip. How many of you know in 2012 we need to get a firm grip on God in our life? And we've been talking about a number of things. One of the first things I told you uh, and on, on January 1 is, in, as we introduced this series, series is, in order to get a firm grip on God and his purpose and plan and, uh, and the faith of God in our life, the first thing we might need to do is let go of some things. How many of you know if you got a hold and a grip on some things, it'll hinder you in your gr- grip on God and his purpose and plan for your life. And, and, and there may be some things you need to let go of, and there may be some things that you need to shake loose from. There may be some things that have a hold on you. And as we'll read in a few moments, there are people who things have a hold on them, and it hinders them and, uh, from really getting a firm grip on the faith of God in their life. So everybody say, shake it loose and let it go. Come on, tell somebody, shake it loose and let it go. Now, I just have to tell you, don't get concerned about the clock today. Everyone say, I don't know when football starts today. Josh, when does football start? Two o'clock. See, we got plenty of time. So no one panic, amen. I know some of you have been fasting this week. You're going, but pastor, I hadn't ate 
I haven't eaten beef or chicken or fish in 21 days. Arr, look out. Hey, let's finish strong. Uh, I think it'll be good for us. So, uh, hey, we, we've got to strengthen our spiritual grip on God and shake loose and let go of some things. And then I talked to you about strengthening, strengthening your grip on your faith. Abraham was a great illustration. It says he didn't waver in unbelief as some did, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And then last Sunday, we talked about uh, strengthening your grip on the integrity of God in your life. And in actuality, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 4, where, where he said in the last time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed or falling under the grip of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And then he says to Timothy in the, in verse, the last verse of that chapter, you better take heed to yourself. And the kind of the Greek rendering is there. You better take a hold of the character of God in your life. And so we talked about getting a firm grip on the integrity of God in your life. We look at Job who through it all did not let go of God's integrity in his, in his heart and life. In fact, he said, you know, as long as I live, I'm not letting go of the integrity of God in my life. How many of you know integrity is, is a powerful thing and it's a terrible thing to lose? And so important in our walk with God to maintain our integrity in life. And so that's where we've been. I told you where we're going, but let's talk about where we are today. Let me give you our introductory verse, Revelation 3.11, from the paraphrase, the message. It says this. He said, I'm on my way, Jesus said. It's the letter to the faithful church in Revelation 3. I'm on my way. Everybody say, let's just read it together. Here we go. Everybody, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. You see, we live in a world, sadly, that there are influences that, are, that, that endeavor to distract, distract us, divert us off of God's purpose and plan, and ultimately destroy our lives. And we'll see that in a moment. And so that's why Paul uh, told Timothy, you know, to take heed to yourself. And that's why Jesus wrote to the faithful church that, hey, there's influences in the world that want to distract you and ultimately rob you of the reward of God in your life, not rob you of eternity. How many of you know once you're born again, you're born again? Amen. If you want to lose it, you can. I'm not going to lose mine. Amen. I believe when I got born again into the family of God, I'm his child and he'll never, uh, I've been adopted into the family. He'll never disown me. Uh, amen. And so I'm going to serve him all the days of my life. And so uh, there, are, there are rewards in heaven. And if we get distracted and we get off track and we lose our grip on the things that God has implanted and imparted to us, uh, we'll miss uh, a whole lot of blessing in our life, in this life and in the life to come. And so, uh, hey, everyone say, keep a tight grip. Amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, here we are. Uh, let me introduce this to you. Verse 10, it says this, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, I, I meant to tell you, here's where we're going. We're going to talk about getting a firm grip on God's authority. Everyone say God's authority. Okay, so here we go. He said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Did you get that? The love of money distracted them from their faith 
And they strayed from the faith and, 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 and a spirit and attitude of greediness came upon them and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How many of you know uh, when your money is a good thing, but if you love it, it'll actually make you sorry you've got it. In verse 11, he said, but you, O man of God, flee these things. In other words, don't let that happen to you. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. How many of you know it is a fight? To keep a firm grip on your walk with God, you're going to have to do some spiritual battle. He said, lay hold. There it is. Get a grip on eternal life. In other words, don't don't get distracted from the redemptive plan and God's purpose for your life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good profession, good confession before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed, everyone know that Jesus is blessed, say he is blessed. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In fact, my Bible tells me that when he returns again uh, 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 at the end of all things, I think it says on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Paul is telling Timothy, he says this about, about uh, uh, in fact, you know that, that Paul is getting ready to leave planet earth and he's imparting to Timothy, his son in the faith, key uh, kingdom principles. And he, he talks about a group of people who let the love of money and the things of this world distract them. And he, he said, you can't do that. You've got to pursue after the things of God. You've got to fight the good fight of faith and you've got to keep these things and don't let them loose from your life and hold fast to the commandment of God in your life and and realize that one day and one day soon uh, you're going to come in contact with the ultimate authority of all things. He's the great potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. I love the word potentate. It means final authority and ultimate authority in our life. And he defines for Paul, pardon me, Paul defines for Timothy the principle of God's ordained and, and authority in his life. He said, let me tell you who's in charge. His name is Jesus. He's the great potentate. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Somebody say, amen. And this morning, the principle, and let me just say, I'm just, I want to just scratch this. Well, I'd love to do more, but I'm just going to scratch the surface of a very important kingdom principle that all of us need to get a grip on, and that is the authority of God in our life in and through our life. Because how many of you know we have authority? We'll talk about it in a moment. But this principle is so empowering that you and I have got to understand it. And that's what Paul was trying to get across to Timothy. He said, hey, understand something. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to appear one day and he's going to manifest himself. And he is the blessed one, the only potentate, the great King of kings and Lord of lords. Then he goes on to say, who alone has immortality, dwelling in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. And everyone said, amen. Let me just say, God is God. And 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, let me lay out, just let me give you a kind of a truth for today to kind of help you understand what I just said. Here it is. And it is this. The kingdom of God is just that, a kingdom. Everybody say it's a kingdom. Ruled by a king where there is divine order and final authority. You see, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. Everyone say that. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. You see, in a kingdom, there's a king. And he is the ultimate authority. They don't have votes in heaven about what God's going to do. Amen. Now, I appreciate democracy in the world we live in today. How many of you are glad you don't live in a totalitarian uh, uh, regime where, where the king is in some ungodly or selfish king for his own benefit, rules with an iron fist? How many of you are glad? How many of you appreciate living in the, in the good old U.S. of A.? Amen. But I'm telling you something, the kingdom of God, because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, it is not a democracy. It is a, a theocracy. And God is in charge. And there is divine order and final authority. And when you look at creation, you will see God's divine order and his final authority. In fact, when he created Adam, I love this, and you can look it up in Genesis chapter 1. When he created Adam, you know what he did? He gave him authority. He said, I'm putting you in this garden, and I want you to take authority in the garden. And everything that is in the garden, you're in charge of. Uh, Take dominion. Everyone say, take dominion. What was he telling Adam? Step into the authority of God over your life. The sad thing about Adam, you know what he did not do in the moment of truth or in the moment of trial? He didn't step into his authority. Because when the, when the serpent came to deceive, Adam's responsibility was to take, take dominion and be in charge. But he yielded to the devil's authority and he... And he Uh, circumvented God's authority in his life by listening to the devil. And as a result, you and I have been hassled ever since by the kingdom of darkness and the authorities of the underworld, if you will. And so there is divine authority and there is final authority. And so you and I need to understand that and embrace that. How many of you would appreciate me giving you a suggested reading? How many of you are readers? You ever any readers in the house? In fact, uh, we're trying to figure out a way to teach this again. We did a couple of three years ago. There's a book by John Bevere, uh, B-E-V-E-R-E, John Bevere. You can Google it called Undercover. Everyone say Undercover. It's a, it's a book. And, and let me just say, everybody ought to read this book. Uh, I may actually Wednesday night bring it to uh, Wednesday night and, and share some things from it. We'll just undergird Wednesday night this principle and, and help build some, put some flesh and, and meat on this message uh, that I'm sharing with you today. But uh, that's a great book. I encourage you to get it and begin to read the book undercover. It'll, it'll change your life. And so uh, with, with that being said, let me just give you this morning. I'm just going to, this may be just information. Hopefully there'll be a little inspiration here. I'm going to give you some principles of authority that you and I need to understand. And then we'll close out in just a few moments with some, some insight about walking in, the, in and under the authority of God in your life. So that's where we're going. I'm going to just give you some principles, some overarching principles about the authority of God that you and I need to embrace. And then we'll talk about walking in the, in the authority of God for your life and beginning to embrace and take a good grip on the authority of God in your life. Here we go. Principle 
number one, uh, just for the sake of information, hopefully a little inspiration, I've already basically said it. Number one, God is the first and final authority. He's the first. In fact, you hear him say, I am the beginning and the end. He started it all and he will finish it all. God is in charge. In fact, uh, the, the great commission there in Matthew 28, what Jesus said, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Where did he get it? God the Father. How could he get all authority in heaven and earth? Because God has all authority in heaven and earth. Amen. Some of you just think you're in charge. Some of you just think the devil's in charge of your family. God is in charge. Everyone say God is in charge. That's an important thing to understand. Because once you do, it will help you have faith in God. It will not hurt you. In fact, some people think, oh, God's a big mean God. Uh, you know, some of you had some bad scene with authority figures in your life. And so you're always ducking and you're thinking God's mad at you. Let me tell you something. He is the final, in thought, uh, final authority. But how many of you appreciate the fact that he is benevolent, loving, and caring God Almighty? But he still is God Almighty. And he is the ultimate potentate. The King of kings and the Lord of lords in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. So God is first and final authority. Principle number two, humanity is under the control of a rogue regime. Lost humanity is under the influence of, though God is ultimately over it all. How many of you know God has authority over the kingdoms of darkness? He really does. You read Job like we did and you'll find that that unless God uh, released his hand off of Job, the devil could not touch him. And so God is ultimately in charge like number one says. But number two, uh, this lost world has willingly yielded to the control of a rogue regime. Now quickly, just turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me show you this principle. Uh, Paul the apostle said this. He said, you, verse verse 1, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also uh, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like all the others. What's he saying here? There's a rogue regime called the powers of darkness. He called it the 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 prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, that used, we all used to live under the governance of that rogue regime called the devil and sin. You got it? Everybody got it? You got to understand that. That's the way the world is. That's why Jesus came. Amen. We'll see that in a moment. In fact, number three, the third principle of authority that I want you to embrace this morning and just understand, the cross has proven victorious. Everyone say, the cross has proven victorious. In other words, this rogue regime has not committed the ultimate takeover. In fact, the Bible says about, uh, about this rogue regime in 1 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there, ah, the first 15 in there somewhere, it says that the, that the kingdoms of this world, had they known about, this is Pastor Sam's paraphrase, had they known the real import of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, had they known he was going to rise from the dead, that says they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. And so the cross has proven victorious. 
quickly. Let's just fa- let's establish that. Turn to your left and find Colossians. It's just a few pages. Colossians chapter 1. I love, uh, oh, let's verse 13. I love this verse, these two verses. Catch this. Uh, he, speaking of Jesus, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Did you see that? In other words, Jesus has transferred us from the governance of the rogue regime under the influence of the powers of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So everybody say, thank God for the cross. And so see... The cross delivered us from the authorities of darkness, from the principalities and the powers and the spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Look in the second chapter. Oh gosh, verse 14. Speaking of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, having wiped out the handwritings of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. That basically is talking about a certificate of debt that we owe. How many, uh, how many of you ever been in debt on any level? Okay, probably everybody. Amen. And the Bible says, oh, no man, anything. And so I won't go down that road. It's a, it's a, it can be an evil taskmaster. But what he's talking about, the, the debt we owe to God, that we are sinners. And, and we're indebted to him and we, because of what he has done and, He paid a debt we could never pay. And he said he wiped that out. Somebody say amen. We had a a debt. Wouldn't you appreciate it if somebody just came along and paid off everything you, you owe? What we owed spiritually, Jesus came through the power of the cross and wiped it out. Look at what he says. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having, look in verse 15, here it is, the cross is proven victorious. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Amen. The cross is proven victorious. And so, thank God for the cross. God is the first and final authority. Humanity, lost humanity, is under the control of a rogue regime. Speaking of the principalities and the powers of the air and, and, and the, uh, the sin of this life. But the cross, that's why Jesus came, is to undermine the authority of the devil in our life. Undermine, undermine the authority of sin in our life and transfer us back into the kingdom of God's dear son. Amen. Principle number four of authority that you and I need to embrace. There's no such thing as an authority void. There's no such thing as an authority void. Have you ever met anyone who didn't want to be under anybody's thumb? I'm my own man. Nobody tell me what to do. I I used to be self-employed. And I would always say about self-employed people, they're... They're either very self-motivated and ingenious and, you know, kind of entrepreneurial spirits, spirits, or they're just rebels who can't say, uh, follow anybody else's lead. <laughs> That's really the truth. And I, I think I had a little of that in me, but uh, hopefully it was just more of an entrepreneurial spirit in me that said I can, uh, I can be blessed doing what I, and I was. And so, uh, but understand something, uh, 
those who say nobody's going to be in charge of my life are still serving something. Oh, Bob Dylan had it right. You got to serve somebody. Google that. That's, that's kind of, he, I don't know how he made it because I got to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. What was he saying? There's, there's not an authority. There's no such thing as an authority void. You will serve somebody. In fact, my Bible tells me in Philippians chapter 2, there will come a time when, when uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It doesn't mean they all go to heaven, but before they go to hell, they'll still have to bow under the authority of God. God is in charge whether we realize it or not. Amen. There's no such thing as an authority void, and, and we will serve. We will end up serving somebody or something. In fact, Romans chapter 6 talks about either being under, we're either slaves to sin or slaves of God. There's no middle ground. You're going to be under the influence and the governance of some force and some principality, some power, or under the influence of God in your life. It's really true. Number five. Oh, this is a good one. This is where we'll head for the next few moments. The church is God's delegated authority on planet earth. The church is God's delegated authority on planet earth. Matthew 16 talks about, it's the story of when Peter, when he asked, who do people say that I am? Remember the story? And he said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this, some say you're that. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And he said, on this rock, uh, speaking of the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I will build my church. Everyone say he'll build his church. On the revelation of who Jesus is, he's the Christ, the son of the living God, the ultimate potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. How many of you know the church doesn't belong to us? The church doesn't belong to the preacher. I'm just a delegated authority. He's the builder and the master and the king of kings and the lord of glory. He's the head of the body. And he says this, he said, upon this revelation of who I am, I will build my church. And let me tell you, one of the the benefits and the the byproducts of 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 the church that I build, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the church is God's delegated authority over the principalities and the powers and the spiritual forces of wickedness in this life. Amen. And you and I need to understand that. That we as the church are God's delegated authority. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. God said, all authority, Jesus said, all authority is given me in heaven and earth. And then he said, go. Everyone say go. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, hey, you're in charge. You're in charge of the purpose of God. In fact, when you read Mark's uh, uh, rendition of the Great Commission there at the end of Mark, I believe it is. He, he says a form of what Matthew recorded. And then he said, one of the signs of this church that God is commissioning, uh, they, they, they'll put their foot on the devil and they'll have authority over the enemy in their life and nothing shall harm them. Somebody say a bigger amen. 
Now, let me show you some things here. These are some great uh, passages of Scripture about the delegated authority of God in our life as his people. Look in Luke chapter 9. Turn over there quickly. I told you I'm just going to give you some good information, and then we're going to talk about how we need to walk in and under the authority of God for our life because if we do, guess what? We'll be blessed. If we don't, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll lose our grip on our faith and, and the deceptions and the, and the intrusion of the enemy because there's not an authority void. There's no such thing as an authority void. Uh, there will always be someone or something in charge of our life. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 to his 12 disciples. He, and then he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority. Everyone say power and authority. That's that supernatural power, dunamis, there in, in the first one. And then authority, exousia. It's the authority of God in our life. He gave us authority. And so you see the 12 disciples are delegated authorities. And it says, uh, I'm giving you a power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Amen. You see the delegated authority there? The church is God's delegated authority in the earth. And he gave us authority over the powers of darkness to over all demons. Everyone say all demons. And over the sicknesses, to heal sicknesses and to cure diseases, both spiritually and physically. Now look in Luke chapter 10. It gets better. The ver- verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them out two by two before, the face, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Uh, and he talked to them about uh, the, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. And so they did as he said, and they went out. And look in verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority. Someone say authority. I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. Everyone say we have authority. The church is God's delegated authority in the earth. We should not fear the kingdoms of darkness. Why? Because we are God's delegated authorities. And so let me rehearse. God is the first and final authority. Humanity, lost humanity, is under the spell and the control of a rogue regime. But the cross has proven victorious. There's no such thing as an authority void. And the church is God's delegated authority in the earth, set over the kingdoms of darkness to pull up and to, and to tear down, to, to undermine the authority that the enemy has ingrained himself in this world. Amen. And so we ought to embrace that today. We ought to walk in the authority of God quickly. I know it's noon. Let me give you four things quickly that, that we can do to walk in God's authority over our life. The first one is this. If we're going to walk in and, and be recipients of and beneficiaries of the authority of God, we're going to have to learn to walk in God's delegated authority of our life. And number one, and let's move through the slide quickly. The number one, it requires submission. If you're going to be an authority, you've got to be under authority. Everyone say, if I'm going to be one, I've got to be under one. Let me give you three areas the Bible teaches that we've got to be submitted. Number one, absolutely submitted to God. James 4, 7 said this, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee. See the, pro- the process? If you just try to resist the devil uh, without being under the authority of God, 
you're going to be in trouble. But if you're under God's delegated authority and you're submitted to God, you can resist the devil and you can stand against him and he will flee from you. You've got to be submitted to the authority of God in your life. Number two, we've got to be submitted to the government of God in our life. There's government and and even secular government. Romans 13, the first three verses, talks about the fact that God set up government and authority and we need to be submitted to the government that God has placed us in. And I know everyone has big question marks about, hey, but what if the government goes rogue? There's a, way, <coughs> there's a way and a means around that. How many of you know the disciples actually said when the government in their day said, you can't preach or teach in Jesus' name anymore. You've got to stop that. How many of you know they said, hey, bless your heart. We appreciate that, but we can't help but do what God's called us to do. There is an ultimate authority we answer to. And so there comes a time potentially in all of our lives where we have to look at the circumstances of our life and realize, hey, I, I answer to a higher authority. But understand something, that does not give us the right to re- be rebellious and, and, and stir up our sin nature and be an unsubmitted servant. I tell ladies a lot when maybe they have a husband who's not following God. Listen, I tell them, they'll say, well, one of these days, pastor, I'll come to church, but my husband, he just doesn't want to come. And so when he, God touches his heart, then I'll come to church. In fact, he doesn't really want me to come to church. And so I know the Bible says I need to obey my husband. I said, not if he's leading you down the wrong road. If your husband said, come on, baby, let's go to the club and get all kinds of messed up, would you do that? Well, no. And I said, here's the principle. You're, you're absolutely submitted, but your obedience is relative. How many of you, you can stay submitted, but your obedience is relative? You got it? I threw, I threw that out there for free, even though it's 12 o'clock, because I didn't want anyone to get, well, the government, the government, Most people use that as just an excuse to rebel. Read Romans 13. I don't have time. Read it. But hey, we stay submitted to God, to government, and to the family of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says this about the family of God. He says this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. And yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. God put us in a family. And how many of you know the family is not a the, though God is ultimately in charge. There's, how many of you know there's a, there's a proper pecking order in the family? But in the family of God, listen carefully, even though there's government, how many of you know if, if you're in charge of something and you are unsubmitted to God in the family, you're just, you're just gone rogue yourself. Amen. And so it requires submission. Walking in God's authority requires us to be submitted to God, to government, and to the family of God. Number two, it requires leadership. Delegated authorities in our life. Look at that same passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look what he says to the leadership in chapter 5 verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers not by compulsion but willingly. Not for dishonest gain but eagerly. Not as being lords over those, who in, uh, those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you 
will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You see, understand something. God puts delegated authorities in our life and they're there to bless us. And if you're a delegated authority, you're not to be a Lord, but you're to be a leader. You're not to be a hard nose. You're to be an example to the body of Christ and, and, and lead uh, uh, your family or lead those who God has put in your life with a heart of service and relational connection to them rather than the thumb knows authority and just, nah, you're under my thumb. Are you with me? Say amen. Walking in God's authority requires submission. It requires leadership. Number three, it requires faithfulness. Without going to Luke 19, verse 17, it's the parable about uh, uh, the minas or about the talents and how, how the master invested into one five and the other two and the other one and without going into it those who came back and had had faithfully multiplied what God had put into their hand you know what Jesus said to them he said when you were faithful with what I gave you uh, or the master said he said you know what I'm going to do I'm going to give you authority over more how many of you know faithfulness multiplies God's authority in our life And God's put some things in our hand. And if we're going to walk under the authority of God, did you know the call of God is not optional? Did you know the blessings and the purpose of God is not optional? We have the choice to choose to not fulfill God's purpose in our life. I wonder why, a lot of people wonder why they have no authority over the devil. It's because they're abusing God's blessing in their life and they're not faithful to what he's given them. Are you with me? Say amen. And so it requires faithfulness to the purposes of God and his plan for our life. Number four, it requires clarity of purpose. To walk in the authority of God requires clarity of purpose. Let me just say this. A lot of people think their authority is just to, just to muscle the devil around. We do muscle the devil around. We do have authority over the devil. But the, the ultimate purpose of walking in the authority of God over our life, as the Great Commission says in Matthew 28, it's, to, it's for the expansion of God's kingdom. The reason we overthrow the powers of darkness and we take authority over the the things of this world is for the expansion of the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts 26, he said, hey, let me tell you what he did for me. He delivered me and he set me free. But he said the reason he did was so I could go into the Gentiles' life and to deliver them from the power of Satan and and transfer them into the kingdom of his dear son. In other words, the purpose of the authority of God in my life is for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Amen. So walking in God's authority is not just to keep the devil off your back. It's to expand the kingdom. Are you with me? Say amen. And finally today, walking in God's authority requires force. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twelve. He said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And it's the violent that take it by force. Listen, if you want to walk in God's authority, it's going to take some authority being expressed against the principalities and the powers and the spiritual forces of wickedness in your life. Some of us need to rise up to a new level of authority in our life. And as God told Adam... It's time to take dominion. Some people struggle with things all their life and they don't really realize they have authority. And through the authority of Christ in them, we invade the kingdoms of darkness. We set the captives free, including ourselves. You see, if we're going to, in 2012, 
keep a firm grip on what we've got. We've got to embrace the authority of God in our life and then begin to walk in God's authority that he's given us and begin to be victorious over the principalities and the powers and the spiritual forces of wickedness in our life. Depression is not in charge. Addictions are not in charge. I said addictions are not in charge. Jesus is in charge. And he has given us authority over the devil, over sickness. We've got to begin to walk in that authority. Requires force. Requires faithfulness and clarity of purpose. We've got to embrace the call of God and the authority of God in our life. Let's stand together.